Isn't it good to be able to assemble again today, tonight, to worship God? Just wonderful, right? And, and you know what's, what's better is when we're assembling together and people who are here want to be here, right? Want to worship God. And what a, what a blessing and an honor it is to stand before you this evening. Welcome to each of you, both members and visitors alike. We thank you for your attendance tonight. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, we enjoy the opportunity to worship you and to sing songs of praise to you. And as we echo those songs up into heaven, we're thankful, Lord God, that you received not only our songs, but our hearts, and that you've received our prayers, and that you've received our worship. We pray, Lord God, that we will forever keep Jesus in front of us as our number one. We may walk the walk of faith and be the kind of people that you would have us to be. Give us, please, through this evening's worship, the strength that we need to continue the fight uh, throughout our week until you bring us back again. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee to be thy will. Amen. Melchizedek. Let's go to uh, Hebrews, please, chapter 7. So part two of Melchizedek. Let's go into a different direction um, to, to give us a little more understanding of the Melchizedekian uh, priesthood. So a priest, if you will, the purpose of the priest. Uh, there's been a necessity of a priesthood from the uh, beginning of man's sinful ways, right? Because we need to have a connection between man and God, and it's sin that separates man from God. And so there's this Melchizedekian priesthood. In the Old Testament, they offered uh, animal sacrifices looking to Jesus. They, not, they didn't understand that. We do, looking backwards, uh, but looking to Jesus. And the Levitical priesthood had a beginning, and it had an end. But the Melchizedekian priesthood, which predates the Aaronic or the Levitical priesthood, lives on forever. That's important, right? Okay. Who do people say that Melchizedek was? So I wrote down a list of, of names that people have said. I've heard them say. It's written. You can read it in books if you wanted to study some of those things. Some have made a case that Seth uh, was uh, Melchizedek, the son of Adam. Others have made a claim that Enoch was uh, Melchizedek, uh, the Old Testament. Some have made a claim that Shem, the son of Noah, was Melchizedek. And we just need one verse to prove that none of them can possibly be Melchizedek. Some have even said, and that we can get the same verse, some have even said that it's, it's Christ. Uh, and so let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 7 to kind of just get those ideas out of our mind. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was turning from, sorry about that, Pat. <laughs> slow down, as he was turning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of the spoils was first of all, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, without or excuse me, uh, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, made 
like the Son of God, he abides a priest perpetually. So, the problem with Enoch, Seth, and, and, um, and Shem, they all have genealogies. Melchizedek, verse 3, has no genealogy. The problem with Melchizedek being, uh, being God or Christ, verse 3, he was like, if you will, like the Son of God, not the Son of God. So, so we get that out of our mind and still, okay, but still the question about Melchizedek, we, we'll talk about it, we'll think about this as we go through. Without father, without mother, what does that mean? Does that mean, oh, well, he has to be God, right? Because God has no father and God has no mother, right? Well, let's think about that in this way. He received his commission from God, but he did not receive his commission through a family line or through a bloodline, like his kingship. It didn't come, his father was king, so then the son, as you read the book of uh, the books of 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and Chronicles, the, the fathers, and then the son became king, and then his son became king, and then his son became king. Or you read the bloodline, the bloodline, for example, of David, that this man came from this man, which came from that man, which produced this or produced that. You think about the, the tribe of Levi or the Levites. Levites are uh, those who are commissioned. Uh, some of them are commissioned to be priests. And so you follow that bloodline. This is not a bloodline through Melchizedek, nor is it uh, a lineage from father to son. And so, so we're talking more about that than we are about, uh, about you know, his mystical appearance, if you will, in uh, the book of, of Genesis. Let's look at Numbers chapter 8 for just a moment. So, here's the difference. He has no designated beginning, and he has no designated end of time as king, if you will, but we're looking tonight at priest. He has no designated beginning, and he has no designated end of time. So watch the difference. Numbers chapter 8, we'll begin there, verse 23. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is what applies to the Levites. From 25 years old and upward they shall enter to perform service in the work of the tent of meeting. But at the age of 50 years they shall retire from service in the work and not work anymore. They may, however, assist their brothers in the tent of meeting to keep an obligation, but they themselves shall do no work. Thus you shall deal with the Levites concerning their obligations. And so, God said they got a beginning of time from 20 years upwards to 50 years. Now, the Levitical priesthood and the priests are broken up into other groups, right? Those who are uh, divided from within the priesthood to serve in different ways. So we go from Levites to the priesthood, the Kohathites. The Kohathites had a very specific duty within the priesthood. So we go to Numbers chapter 4. Numbers chapter 4, beginning at verse, we'll begin at verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the descendants of Kohath from among the sons of Levi by their families and by their father's households. From 30 years and upward, even to 50 years old, all who entered the service to do the work in the tent of meeting. This is the work of the descendants of Kohath in the tent of meeting concerning the most holy thing. So the Kohathites, all part of the Levites, Levitical priesthood, the Kohathites could only serve 
from the age of 30 to the age 50. There's a beginning and there is an end. Um, let's st- skip all the way down to verse, same chapter, chapter 4, down to verse 21. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take a census of the sons of Gershon, also by their father's households, by their families. From 30 years and upward to 50 years old, you shall number them, all who enter to perform the service to do the work of the tent of meeting. This is the service of the families of the Gershonites in serving and in carrying. They shall carry the curtains of the tabernacle and the tent of meeting with its coverings and the covering of porpoise skin that is on top of it and the screen for the doorway of the tent of meeting. And it goes on to talk more about what they're supposed to do. But again, there are numbered days from 30 years and upwards to 50. And then their priesthood obligation in. Now, the Merites. The Merites, um, Numbers 4, verse 29. As for the sons of, the, of Merari, you shall number them by their families, by their father's households. From 30 years and upwards, even to 50 years old, you shall number them, everyone who enters the service to do the work of the tent of meeting. And so all of these people, if you will, of the Levites, of the Aaronic priesthood, all of these men are to serve for a certain designated time that they begin their service and a time in which they end their service. Numbers chapter 35. God also, he uh, put in order that there was a city called a city of refuge. And if a man committed a murder, and it was a, it killed someone, it was an accidental, and they were, they were able to prove it, that man was not to be delivered over to the manslayer, right? The avenger of blood. Usually it's a close relative, right? Eye for an eye, two for a tooth, and the law of Moses. And so that man would be allowed to live, but he had to stay within the city of refuge until a certain point in time. So look at the ever-changing priesthood of, uh, of Aaron. Numbers 35 and the verse is 25. The Bible says, And the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the blood avenger, and the congregation shall restore him to his city of refuge, to which he fled. And he shall live in it until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. And so the high priest lived and he died. And then another priest came in and served. And so this priesthood, if you will, under Aaron and under, under Levi, this priesthood had a beginning and it had an end. But Melchizedek's has no beginning and it has no end. See the difference? So he's showing us right off, right off the bat, when you think about Melchizedek, there's a major difference between the two. Hebrews chapter 7, we'll review that verse one more time, uh, and verse 3. That there's a, there's a, a difference between uh, the uh, order of Melchizedek and the order of the priesthood that God designated uh, in the days of Moses through his brother Aaron. And that Levite or that Levitical priesthood and how it was supposed to work. Verse 3, Melchizedek, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he abides a priest perpetually. So Jesus comes through Melchizedek, right? That's important. That's how we're saved because he is our high priest. The high priest of high priest, if you will. Now, 
I want to give you some examples of, of what God has done regarding a man being like a Melchizedek, right? It's an impossibility. Only Jesus can be that man. Uh, let me give you an example. But before I do that, the biblical teaching that makes Melchizedek um, unique is, is that he is both king and priest. That's the uniqueness of the Melchizedekian priesthood. All the other stuff I get without mother, without father, without genealogy, we're not going to find that out <laughs> because God never revealed it. So if you were researching and you're going to do a dissertation on who was Melchizedek's mother or father, just don't, right? Because it's not in there. There's no way to find it out. Again, the idea is that there's no traceable genealogy, no genealogical trail. Uh, you, you're just not going to find it. But one thing we do know is that Melchizedek was not only authorized to be a priest, but he was authorized also to be the king of God. And yet God pro- prohibited kings of Israel from being both priest and king. God prohibited it. God said, no, you can't do that. I want to look at two examples of that. First Samuel chapter 9. So King Saul, the first one we'll look at, he made a foolish, foolish decision, an ungodly decision because of his fear and all the things that was going through his mind. He was unauthorized to offer sacrifices to God, but he thought in his moment of despair that it was a good idea. First Samuel chapter 9, verse 15. I'm in the wrong place. I'm about to read to you First Kings. He would have looked at me funny and said, what's he reading? 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 15. Now a day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel, saying, About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel, and he shall deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines, For I have regarded my people because their cry has come to me. And so they were crying out, Dear God, give us a king to judge us like all of the other nations. And God says, Okay, fine, I'll I'll give you the king. Right? Verse 17. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, Behold, the man whom I spoke to you, this one shall rule over my people. And so he's anointed. Skip over to chapter 10 and verse 1. Then Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on his head, and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? So Saul is now the king, if you will. I like how God called him the prince. But anyway, he's the king of Israel. He's going to rule over the people of God. And and Samuel told Saul future things. Well, these are things that are going to occur to prove to you that God has chosen you as king. Okay, And as you continue reading through chapter 10, you'll find all these things that are happening. I'm going to jump down to verse 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. And it shall be when these signs come to you, that do for yourself what the occasion requires, for God is with you. And so, okay, that's great, right? All is going well. I'm the king. God is with me, so I should be able to do just about anything, right? No. That, that's not true. Because there's one last thing I need you to do. It's in verse 8. 
And you shall go down before me to Gilgal. And behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice, peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and you show, uh, and you, excuse me, and show you what you should do. So, this is a long week. Right? These seven days, are, it's, it's, it's packed with stuff. And so, you go back and you read all, all through there and start reading about these, these seven days. But, but within those seven days, Saul is changed in, into a new man, right? Um, he was publicly chosen uh, as the instrument. He was, everyone now knows that Saul is the king. Within those seven days, these things occurred. Verse 24, and Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Right? Great. And then a war breaks out. Right? The Ammonites come along. And the Ammonites declare war against Israel. And, and this, this war happens all within the seven days. The war begins and the war ends within the seven days. After the victory... Saul is reconfirmed as the king. All within the seven days. Go to chapter 11. Look at verse um, 14. Then Samuel said to the people, Come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom here. Please remember, Samuel said to, to Saul, Meet me in Gilgal. Okay. Then Samuel said to the people, Come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they also offered offerings of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So you say, okay, you know, all is well, right? We're in Gilgal, and so now Samuel offers the peace offering, so everything should be fine. No, this is still within the seven days. We're not at the seven day yet. Go, go back, if you will, to chapter 10. This is really important. Another war breaks out. So after we just read what we've just read in chapter, chapter 11, another war breaks out. Now the Philistines are coming to war against Israel. You know, it's like, wow, why not? And I'm king? Two wars in seven days? Yeah, look back at chapter 10 and verse 8. Just really quickly. And you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. So, now King Saul becomes a little anxious because this is now the second war within seven days. He's been confirmed as king and then reconfirmed as king. He's been changed into another man. He's prophesying with the prophets. I mean, all kinds of stuff has happened that's new to him as the king. But he looks out, and when he looks out, he becomes fearful because in chapter 13 and verse 5, the Bible says, Now the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people like the sand which is on the seashore in abundance. And they came up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. And so you have all of these chariots. And some of those chariots, um, you know, you have a one chariot that can carry like ten people. 
right? Like as a carrier or a cargo chariot. And some chariots only carry two people. Regardless of all these chariots out there, men like they spread out like the sand of the seashore. And, and, the, and the men, excuse me, when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard pressed, then the people hid themselves in caves and thickets and cliffs and in cellars and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad, of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal and all the people followed. Now, oh, wait a minute. Everybody's afraid. And trembling saying, have you seen what's out in front of us? King Saul, help us. Why am I king? Of all the times to be king, the worst seven days you can think of. And yet, remember the command, go to Gilgal and wait. And when I get there, I'll make the offering to God. And that means everything's going to be all right. Well, that's a problem. Because when Saul, during these seven days, was supposed to learn his lessons of life, he was supposed to learn patience. He was supposed to learn, it doesn't matter what's in front of you, he was supposed to learn dependence, interdependence on God. Just just wait on the Lord. But Saul was not patient. Right? He waited. You might say, well, he, he did a good job of waiting. He waited. He only did a good job if he did it what the Lord said. But he didn't quite do what the Lord said. Right? Through Samuel. So, verse 10. Actually, I don't I missed something. Let's give me go back to verse, where am I at? I'm in verse 8. Now he waited seven days according to the appointed time by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offering, and he offered the burnt offering. Now, that's a problem. You read the verse, and it seems like in the text, as the text is saying that within those seven days, Samuel didn't come, but that's not what the text is saying. The text is saying they were in the seventh day and Samuel had not yet come. And I'll show you that. I'll show you that here in just, in just a second. God does not forget. Right? Right? God did not give him a command through his prophet and then forget about it. He offers the burnt offering. And I want you to look at and witness the response of Samuel and God through the sin. And now we know this is a sin. Through the sin of the king because a king cannot be priest. And king. One or the other, but never both. The text goes on to say, in verse 10, And it came about as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, that behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, and to greet him. But Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the appointed days, and that the Philistines were assembled at Michmash. Therefore I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. you got to love those excuses, right? He knew better. I, I wasn't going to do it. I was restraining myself. I knew I shouldn't have done it, but I had to do it because I needed God with me. 
Did he wait the full seven days? Let's keep reading. Verse 13. Samuel said to Saul, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So as soon as he offered that offering, can you imagine that being, being, you know, Saul and you just, you light the burnt offering and you look up and then, oh, I should have waited just a couple of more minutes. <laughs> just a couple of more minutes and, and everything would have been all right. But the point is, is that he didn't do what God said like God said it. Sometimes in life, uh, church, you know, uh, a good lesson for us to think about is that um, you know, we want an end to a problem and we wonder if God is listening. We wonder if God is going to, to do it, what he promises he'll do for us. Just got to wait. Right? You just have to be patient. And I know sometimes it's hard to be patient in life. But we got to learn how to be patient and just wait and wait on the Lord. All he needed, if he had just waited for another hour or 15 minutes or whatever would have made that the completion of that seventh day. He would have never made this foolish offering. When you go back and you read from chapter 9 all the way to chapter 13, you see what God is talking about and how he disobeyed the command of God that came through the prophet Samuel. He was not supposed to burn the offering because you cannot be priest and king. Turn to Second Chronicles chapter 26. A king is not... To serve as priest. Uzziah was a, a proud king. And he too decided to, it may be different in Saul's case. Maybe Saul wasn't trying to usurp the authority of God. We got to give him that credit, I think. He was terrified uh, of what was in front of him. But Uzziah definitely was looking to usurp the authority of God and the duties of the priest. And he being king began to act as a priest. Second Chronicles 26 and verse 16. But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. And he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. For he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Then Azariah the priest entered after him with 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, it is not for the, you, Isaiah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and will not, well, excuse me, will have no honor from the Lord God. And so they, war, they warned him, they, you're not supposed to do this. But did that stop him? Nope. Verse 19. But Isaiah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. And while he was enraged with the priest, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead, and they hurried him out of there. And he himself also hastened to get out, because the Lord had smitten him. And why did God do that? 
Because he was acting as a priest and a king. Verse 21. And King Uzziah was leper to was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord, and Jotham his son was king over his uh well, excuse me, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Alright. Now we see what God how what God's law is. We see how God has responded to people who have been king and who acted as priest as well. I want to close in Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14. And the verse is 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. So what was the difference? The order of Melchizedek will produce the Christ. It predates the law of Moses. Under the law of Moses, there's no man who has the authority to be both king and priest. Melchizedek, by the order of God, is both king and priest. And that's what makes the Melchizedekian priesthood so much better and in a whole different class than any other priesthood under the law of Moses and in the entire word of God. And so now we speak of Jesus. And Jesus came under the order of Melchizedek. And so I just wanted to introduce that to you tonight. And Law willing, we'll come back next week. And we'll look at another section of Melchizedek. And just piece by piece try to gain a better understanding of the difference between the Melchizedekian priesthood and others. And to understand what the Bible is trying to tell us about the order of Melchizedek with Jesus Christ as our King and High Priest, and how much glory, how much glory there is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The lesson is yours. I hope and pray that something was said to just jog your memory uh, about things that I know you've heard before, but hopefully it helped in some way. If you are not a child of God, we encourage you to surrender to the Lord this evening, for the opportunity is before you. If there anything, Is there anything we can do for you in prayer requests, whatever it may be, please make it known. All together we stand and sing our song of invitation.